Jake Newman's crash at Lakeside was nasty, and today I'll talk you through what happened to cause the incident and give you a little bit of Sprint Car 101. Let's go. It's Thursday, April 13th. I'm Justin Fiedler. This is Dirt Tracker Daily. It's been an interesting last 24 hours and kind of the aftermath of the Jake Newman crash at Lakeside from Tuesday night. From everything we're hearing, Jake should be okay on the other side of this thing, but he is banged up pretty good. I've been sent a whole bunch of photos about this deal. The team's been looking into the cause of the crash, and it seems like there's pretty clear evidence at this point for what occurred. I've had several conversations today with sprint car people who know this stuff way better than I do, and I wanted to dive into this a bit to show what the problem was for those who maybe don't understand. It sparked more safety conversations on social media, and today we've seen guys like Paul McMahon, Chad Kemenaw, Scotty Thiel, Brian Brown, all of those guys weigh in. When it comes to safety, I think there needs to be a constant dialogue going on because we always need to be finding ways to make things better. And that means tracks, specific safety pieces and gear, car stuff, all of it has to be included. This stuff is difficult and complicated, and you can't ever stop pushing forward for better. And one note, I said yesterday on the show that Jake crashed in hot laps, and I said that because the screen on Flow Racing said it was hot laps. Apparently, it was actually qualifying. Not that it really matters, but it's the internet, and people love to tell you when you screw up. Anyway, so here's what we know. And if you're listening to the podcast version of this, I would recommend jumping over to YouTube because I'm going to show you guys a bunch of things, a bunch of images that you're going to see. So it will make more sense if you're watching this versus listening. Jake crashed on entry to turn three at Lakeside during the high limit event, and it was pretty clear at the moment that something big had gone wrong. You don't normally see cars spin kind of around the front and, and you know, hit left side first uh, on the wall. And looking at the kind of various photos and videos, the uh, evidence seems to point towards the right front torsion bar backing out of the tube and getting into the right front wheel. And check out this incredible photo from Lisa Burlington. She took this right before the incident, and you can see the torsion bar backed out of the tube and into the right front tire and wheel. And if you look, you know, look at where the arrow is pointing, you kind of see all the sparking and stuff. That's actually the torsion bar backed out of the tube. Torsion bars on a sprint car, basically the springs. So in this instance, you effectively had the right front under no spring tension, plus the double whammy of the arm and bar in the wheel. From that point, Jake was really just a passenger. And the front suspension of a sprint car includes two torsion bars, one for each side. They're connected on one end to a torsion arm that lays on top of the axle tube, and then the other end is held in place by a torsion stop. And this image I'm showing on screen, if you don't know where this is, look back at the picture of Jake's car, and in the square, this is basically what I'm showing you. Um, this is you know, part of the front suspension, give you an idea if, if you aren't aware about sprint car suspensions and where this stuff is. This will give you an idea about the real estate we're talking about. And this image is from a, a video from Speedway Motors on YouTube talking about torsion arms and, and putting together front suspension. And what you can see here, I've got all of the various parts marked out. You can see the torsion arm, you can see the retainers or the locks, uh, you can see the torsion stop itself and the torsion bar tube. Uh, as the car travels around the track, that torsion bar twists inside the tube and the tension on it or the torsion on the bar is what provides the spring pressure for the suspension. The arm and the stop uh, that are connected to the bar are held in place by pinch bolts and the ends of the bar are splined so the bar itself can't twist inside the arm and the stop. And if you look at the image here, the stop I have pointed out is actually the stop for the right side bar and then there's one that matches on the other side for the left side bar. And where things go sideways is when those pinch bolts come loose. 
the bar can then move out of the tube and cause problems and problems like we saw with Jake. In response to that, locks were developed to fit inside the bar on each end to help keep everything in place. And there are a few different styles of locks or retainers available. Some are basically held in place by compression. They have knurling inside and they expand when tightened down. Others uh, are threaded. And uh, this next image that you're seeing here is from that same Speedway Motors video. This is one of the threaded versions that's being screwed into the end of the torsion bar. Um, a lot of these new torsion bars are threaded, so it makes these retainers real easy to, to, to kind of screw in and out there. Uh, and then there's a third style that are uh, basically have a rod that runs through the entire inside of the torsion bar with the idea being that if the locks themselves or the retainers themselves come undone, the rod will then keep them in place as a last resort. All three styles have their pros and cons, and, and you can find people who have thoughts on all of them. In Jake Newman's case, as I've been told, the car did have locks in place. Uh, and they were the compression style. And there are photos of, you know, you can see the, the locks or the retainers in place before Jake went out onto the racetrack. And somewhere along the way, the stop and the locks for the right front bar failed to do their job, which led to the issues. At this point, I don't believe there's any way to really know how or why things failed. But when you're dealing with metal and loads and race car stuff, sometimes the teams can do everything right and bad stuff still happens. It's just, again, a reminder that racing is just a dangerous activity. At this point, the major sprint car players mandate some sort of torsion retainer, and the outlaws, for example, allow for either the rod type or the insert, and the insert can be the threaded design or the expand desi uh, expanding design. It's on page 52 of the outlaw rulebook under chassis and frame spec. Uh, you can find the rulebook over at dirtcarmembers.com if you want to see that for yourself. So there's your some, uh, synopsis of what happened to Jake and your bit of Sprint Car 101 for the day. When it comes to safety and rules, the stuff is messy and complicated and things like liability throw a wrench in a lot of it. And I hope we can find ways to be more proactive. Motorsports as a whole has been really reactive, with changes usually only occurring when something bad happens. And everyone has an opinion, though, about this stuff. And it's, I think it's difficult to move the needle when a bunch of people are sitting around a table all talking at each other. We need tracks and series to do better, absolutely, but we also need drivers and teams to take more responsibility for what's on their race cars. If you don't uh, feel safe behind the wheel or something isn't right, do something about it. You have that power. And I think drivers and teams forget sometimes that they do have power uh, in these cases to improve things. We're all thankful, though, that Jake is on the men. Big thanks also to the tech guys and the drivers and the crew members that I chatted with today to better understand all of this. Your help is much appreciated. All right, moving on to a few other things. At Delaware last night, Mike Guler was a $4,000 modified winner over Jordan Watson and David Schilling. He got by Watson with three to go and drove on to the win. Kyle Hardy beat Trevor Collins uh, and Max Blair in the night's Rush Late Model feature. And at Millbridge last night, Kenna McIntosh swept the micro victories. He beat, uh, beat TJ Smith in the wing show. Uh, NASCAR driver Daniel Suarez finished fourth in that one. And Cannon Mack beat Trevor Klein and Cole DeWeese in the non-wing show. That non-wing show had a huge crash right at the start. Several guys upside down. Uh, that included Sheldon Creed and Brandon Jones. All drivers were okay. Tomorrow on the show, we'll get you ready for another busy dirt racing weekend ahead. And I've got a few bits of racetrack news that we'll get into. Some of it's good. Some of it's not so good. But we'll get into that on Friday. Finally today, happy trails to driver Jason McDougall. He announced via his social media channels yesterday that he is stepping away from driving race cars. He said uh, he will focus on, quote, building frames and having something consistent in his life. He made sure to thank people and said his heart will always be in racing. McDougall was a regular sprint car midget and micro competitor. Uh, he'll always be known for his incredible eye to D-run at the Chili Bowl in 2021. 
He'd been making scattered starts the last several seasons in both sprint car and midget competition, racking up plenty of top fives and top tens along the way. I'm sure he'll still find his way to racetracks on a pretty regular basis. There are five more items today across the streaming services, with four of them on Flow Racing. They've got the MLRA late models from Davenport and racing from Georgetown and Marshalltown, uh, plus Flow 24-7. There's also DirtVision now. Uh, if you want to see that full daily streaming schedule with links to watch, visit dirttracker.com watch tonight. Hope you guys have a good Thursday out there. We'll be right back here tomorrow. <laughs>